Knack knack. Who's there? Uh, yeah, I'd rather not share that with you. Hey, no sweat. Come on in. Make yourself at home and take anything you want. Wait, you wouldn't let a stranger in your house. Why would you let anonymous traffic scrape your website? Introducing IP Info's Privacy Detection API, a fast and simple way to detect malicious traffic. Activate your free trial today at ipinfo.io. And don't forget to use the promo code CODESTORY at checkout. It turns out because we needed to pivot, because we really needed to go fast and we needed to reduce our burn rate. We could not use AWS anymore and, and do, do all that at the same time, reduce our burn rate and, and be able to pivot quickly. So to the technology decision that I made going from the one startup to the next was to move away from AWS and use Firebase. And that was only because I could reduce the team size and the client developer, that is the app developer, me, could also do the server development. I'm Juan Soberanis, I'm co-founder and CEO of Beacon. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, Helwan Soberanis is leading the charge to give you a secure way to find your people. All this and more on Code Story. Back in 1986, Juan Soberanis and his family got a personal computer for the house, a Commodore 128. He asked his mother if he could take it to his room and taught himself how to program, and of course, he did some gaming on it as well. This was the genesis of his career path. Outside of tech, he has kids in their 20s and spends a lot of his free time hiking and being outdoors. Juan has been working with startups for quite some time. At one point in his career, he became a contractor doing mobile development. Through a number of contracts with a specific investor, Juan found himself as the CTO of a startup pitching an idea for what is his current venture. This is the creation story of Beacon. There is what I call the rise of consumer privacy tech, and that's driven by apps like Telegram, Signal, DuckDuckGo, and the Brave Browser. And together, those apps have about 700 million monthly active users. And what that, that's done is it's created a lot of demand for high security location sharing in order to find your family and friends. So we're working on bringing that to market with uh, location sharing with end-to-end -end encryption to ensure that people's location data cannot be sold, tracked, abused in any kind of way from anybody, you know, even even me uh, with access to the database, I can't see people's location data. It's just all gobbledygook because it's encrypted. So that's what we're working on. We, we, we intend to be the gold standard for location sharing security, much like Signal is to messaging today. I worked for startups for a long time and I live in the North Bay in San Francisco Bay Area. And the commute was very long. It was maybe three hours a day total. And I just got burnt out in the commute. And so one day I decided to become a contractor. And I contracted for a number of years, worked from home. Got this contract through through word of mouth. Um, it was very small, it was about a week long contract. It was to bring their cross-platform code, building and running on Android. 
So I, you know, got that work done. They, one week turned into a two-week contract, and then a month, and then that turned into a year-long contract, and then they brought me on full-time permanent. And this was for a very small startup uh, based in, in the North Bay. There were some personnel changes, and time went on. And eventually, long story short, I became CTO of this small startup that was, like I say, in the North Bay. And then after a, a year or two of that, um, that startup was failing. So I pitched the investor on on an idea similar to this, and he decided to invest in the company. And I became co-founder and CEO of this company based off of that history. Let's dive into what would be the MVP. Like, tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So the previous startup that I told you about, that I was CTO of, we were we were working on AWS technology, right? And that technology is amazing. I mean, you can there's so much you can do with with AWS, but it is also very complicated. So we had a, a great engineer out in England who knew how to do all the DevOps and all the AWS ins and outs. And we had about maybe three full-time engineers working on the project, you know, QA developer, the usual. It turns out because we needed to pivot, because we really needed to go fast and we needed to reduce our burn rate. We could not use AWS anymore and, and do, do all that at the same time, reduce our burn rate and, and be able to pivot quickly. So to the technology decision that I made going from the one startup to the next was to move away from AWS and use Firebase. And that was only because I could reduce the team size and the client developer, that is the app developer, me, could also do the server development because Firebase is so approachable. By and large, it, what it did is it, it we reduced our burn rate. We went from three engineers down to one. I was able to pivot the technology pretty quickly. Now, it took about three months to get to our 1.0 MVP. And that was just from uh, one and a half engineers, I would say. And we learned quite a bit after that. And I would say that we did a, a pretty significant pivot from 1.0 to 2.0, which is what's in the marketplace today. And I would say from 1.0 to 2.0 was another three months. So with that MVP, you know, I hear the timing, hear how you went about it. I'm curious about decisions and trade-offs you had to make. Maybe it's feature cut, technical debt, those types of things, but digging into those decisions and how you coped with those decisions specifically. The biggest trade-off has been quality by far. And, I, and I, when I say quality, I mean from top to bottom. So in terms of stability, we're pretty stable. I mean, if you look at the crash numbers and the whatnot, it's pretty stable considering, but uh, just usability, you know, just like little glitches here and there and, and animations that aren't, that don't exist that should and things like that. To, by top to bottom, I mean UX, graphic design, all the way down to the code. And that's because we need to move fast and we need to experiment and see what, how the market reacts um, without investing too much into feature sets that we may just throw away. So we're kind of in an experimental phase improving out um, the top level messaging and the market position. It drives our QA engineer nuts because we have a kind of a backlog of bugs. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, next version, next version. Okay, so then from that point, right, and I get how you approached it. 
how did you progress and mature the product, right? I hear you, you know, logging bugs, but also you, you th- start to think about features and things. How did you progress it? And I'm, I'm curious to wrap that question in a box. What I'm really looking for is like, how do you build your roadmap and how do you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? It's a really good question. It comes from multiple sources along the way. So one of the sources is simple traction. So, so we put out 1.0 and we're looking at the traction numbers and they're not what we want. And we, we, and we start to do some soul searching. And along with that is a process of understanding the market. What are our competitors doing? What does the market really truly need? What, what are some, some of the principles, first principles that are going on in the marketplace today? And that's how we got from a sort of a navigation market position, navigation sharing market position into a privacy first gold standard sort of security market position. I also have learned quite a bit from just talking to advisors and and people I know who are in business. You know, the phrase for startups is get out of the room, right? And go talk to people. Well, you don't necessarily have to physically get out of the room, but you do need to get on the, on the phone and, and, uh, and start chatting with people or even if it's email, but ideally on the phone. So I talk to people, I talk to people who've been around the block and I get their feedback and, and I kind of read if they get excited or not, you know, and as they're getting excited, I, I start to follow that down that path. Now, the, uh, the other thing we're doing, and this is super important, we are starting a community of actual users where we happen to be using Facebook groups, but you could use anything. We, we're going to gather these people together and our mission is to delight a hundred customers, right? So with that direct feedback back from users, that will have a significant impact on our roadmap for sure. Tell me about your team and how you went about building it. And I'm curious, you know, what you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? I started out with a team. I inherited a team and we had a, a developer in Washington State. We had a developer in England. We had a QA person in England. I've also uh, engaged marketing people. Uh, one was from LA. She was in France at the time. And uh, one was in the in the East Coast. I've been sort of on the opposite side of that equation where I had to reduce the team, right? Everybody who worked on, on that first project was great. They were, uh, you know, quality folks. And so the choices I had to make were, were less hiring someone and bringing an bring them on more like, who do I, you know, who, who gets to stay on, on this next startup venture? My decision process was mostly role-based. So if, you know, I needed a QA person, that was the QA person. If I needed a server person that, you know, I kept the person in England for the server side work, but it wasn't a hard choice because everybody was, was excellent. I'll say just more generally outside of this particular endeavor, I look for people who take initiative and who can be trusted. They're curious and they care. They will come to me with uh, surface issues within their job and their role. Um, And of course, they're smart and talented and skilled, and they're always trying to learn and grow. Okay, let's flip to scalability. And this will be interesting. It's always interesting for for me to hear how people approach this or or don't. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or, or have you been fighting this as you've grown? We built it to scale from day one. 
we, we chose, you know, no SQL databases, not so much serverless. We had a server in AWS, but we were migrating to more serverless code, even in AWS. But when we switched to Firebase, it was a conscious choice for scalability, but also for uh, its ability to sync data between the server and the, and the mobile apps seamlessly and in real time. That was a choice for the scalability, for sure. Um, we're not concerned at this point. We never have to worry about server downtime or um, if we, you know, if we have a surge in, in signups in one day in usage, because it's all serverless technology and Firebase takes care of it. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? first thing that comes to mind is the team. I really worked with some amazing people, all the way from the investor to the server-side engineer. Uh, I have worked with a few of them, but like one in particular who we worked with a lot out in England and the QA person in England who is starting to teach herself how to code because she has, you know, that kind of passion and initiative. So I'm very proud of the team. I'm proud of the fact that our growth rate, that we pivoted from 1.0 to 2.0, and our growth rate has just boomed. Um, so we're at uh, we're at about 30% week over week growth, and we're at about 5,000 monthly active users at this point, with a very small marketing budget. Maybe one of our weakest points in the company's marketing. You know, none, none of us are native marketers, so we just sort of taught ourselves how to do some ad services and spend a little bit of money per month. That's how powerful our message is. With just a little bit of ad spend and the right message, we're getting a lot of interest. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I haven't pushed some kind of code out that broke the whole system or anything like that. Not that I've never done that in the past. Um, <laughs> you know, I see more, if I want to answer that question, I kind of want to answer it this way. The, the whole journey up to this point has been a series of mistakes and that we have been on a learning curve to find the right product market fit, the right market and the right custom, the right early adopters. You know, we're very laser focused on families with tweens and teens and we didn't come out of the gate that way. And so if you look at it, if, if you were to re rewind time and look at us on day one and what our vision was and our mission, you could sit, call that a huge mistake. So we've been making mistake after mistake. And the, the important thing for us is to learn along the way, right? And learn and grow and get better and better and better. So could you say, we could say the whole process has been sort of mistake ridden, but also success ridden at the same time. Well, Juan, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? The future looks like becoming the gold standard for location sharing privacy and security. And really Signal is, is, is our model for that. They are the gold standard. So we are not currently open sourced, but we will open source soon. And then integrating the Signal protocol. We're also going to provide some more features around family safety, but we won't go too deep into family safety. These are just our early adopters who we feel have a very strong drive to to adopt a, a location sharing solution. Beyond that, we're looking, what we'll be looking at are features that will push us out of a casual a family safety sort of sharing mechanism into more 
social. So that might look like messaging or it might look like, well, we don't know yet, but it could look like um, meeting up, making it easier to meet up with friends, right? Choosing a place to meet, maybe a time and making that a social event within the app. That's exciting, right? We're, we're looking, we have a, a sort of an open road and we can really, we have space to innovate and to do something uh, special and interesting for our users. So let's switch to you, Juan. Who, who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. Boy, I've had so many people in my life influence the way I work in a positive way. I've always admired people in the workplace who can struggle through all kinds of problems and stay focused. And so any, I want to call anybody like that. And um, I, I'm hesitant to throw out some names because I'm going to miss some others. So what I'll say is um, I, would, I would say in terms of entrepreneurship, Walt Disney and Roy Disney combo, they are my sort of inspirations, if you will, for entrepreneurship. When I read about what they, what they did in the past and, and how they accomplished it and with what little resources they had, it's, uh, it's quite amazing what they've done. And uh, um, I think that Walt Disney was an amazing combination of vision, creativity, passion, but also very much rooted in, in reality in terms of compromises and, and getting from A to B with uh, the resources that he had. Okay, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? When I was in university, I had a job. I was I was down at UC San Diego, and I had a job at a place called Scripps Institute of Oceanography. I was working for a, a, a company doing ocean atmospheric models, atmospheric science and predictions, working with com- the computer side of things. And I never met the head scientist of the group who was doing all the, the, the leading and the visionary work and the fundraising and everything until the last day of the job. I had graduated and I was ready to move on. And he called me up into his office and he sat me down. Again, first time I ever talked to the man, right? He got, you know, got to know me a little bit, chit-chatted, and then he said, Juan, I'm going to tell you the most important thing in your career going forward. It's not so much what you know, but who you know. And, you know, I said thank you and, and left and moved on. And I always remembered that, but I never really honored it and fostered as many relationships as uh, I should have and could have. I wish I could go back and, and uh, keep my connections up and, and foster the relationships and you know reach out to people from time to time, go have a beer, go have a coffee, give them a call, see what they're up to and uh, in a genuine way, you know, authentic relationship way because it's very significant for anybody, I think, for any career to have a good solid network. Well, last question, Juan. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? It's impossible to answer that, right? Because I'd have to ask them all kinds of questions about their business and, and whatnot. Um, so the advice would be specific to them and their, their specific needs at the time. But if I have to give a general answer, um, I would say focus, stay focused. I've, I've seen too many startups fail that, that lost focus. They're trying to boil the ocean. Stay disciplined. And that's related to focus because you have to be able to say, not now, right? Not yet or no. 
um, we're, we, you know, we're going after this customer. It's very targeted and that's what we're doing in the next six months. I would say have that strong, purposeful vision, know what your why is all the way from beginning to end and never let go of the why. Always remind yourself, why, why are we doing this? And hold on to that and stay loyal to it while at the same time keeping flexible along the path. So how you get to where you want to go can be flexible as you learn and, and grow and adapt. But the ones who are going to succeed are keeping that long-term vision in mind. This is where, where we, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is what we want to get to, while also, you know, taking, uh, being opportunistic about what comes along, along the way, learning, growing, adapting. Fantastic. Well, Juan, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Beacon. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.